Today is our last day in Modern Luther. And if you've missed any of the series, feel free to jump on iTunes, search Yak, Christ Community Church in Frisco. My name is AJ Swanson. You should be able to find them pretty easily. Um, so get on iTunes and search if you missed a week. Um, and I think it's fitting that we end our series as we've kind of covered different topics with a talk on the Bride of Christ, the church. And we're going to focus on the question, and this is your first fill-in-the-blank. There's a lot of fill-in-the-blanks tonight. Your first fill-in-the-blank, what does it mean to be the church? What does it mean to be the church? This, I think, is the first sermon in the series where the question asked, the question posed to the 15th century audience is very different than the question posed to the modern one. So while we will look at history at the beginning of this message tonight and kind of see how, Ma, how, how Martin handled things when he dealt with this question, we're then going to jump forward and then we're going to a little speculate, but I don't think it's speculate too much, and that is how would Martin handle this question if the Reformation happened today as he dealt with an American culture and asking the same question, um, what does it mean to be the church? And, and again, for him, what would it mean to be the church today? So let me pray for us, and we'll dive in. So Father God, as we finish this series, so we've looked at theology and history and how it relates to us today, uh, Lord, uh, may we learn and remember what it means to be in community, uh, what you've called us to, this group you've called us to, which is the Bride of Christ, how it should encourage us, Sometimes rub us the wrong way, um, frustrate us, um, but Lord, at all times, sanctifies us and points us towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. So on January 15th, 1520, Martin Luther received a special letter from the Pope. No, it wasn't an invitation to see the progress on the newly started St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Nor was it an invitation to a monk's retreat in the French Alps. It wasn't a thank you letter, and at best it could be described as a get better soon request. It was a papal bull. A letter signed by the Pope himself asking Luther to recant his views or risk being excommunicated from the Catholic Church. <coughs> Luther burned that letter publicly. Bold Luther, bold Luther. And for his lack of change, he was excommunicated from the church. Look, now today, you can just go to a new church down the street, right? But this is 15th century Germany. There is no other church down the street. He could join the Orthodox Church out in the east, but that's a long trip, and he might not fit perfectly with them either. Luther was a man without a church to call home. At least not the same way we might think of as a church. The reason Luther could sleep well at night, the reason Luther did not fear the fires of hell for being outside the Catholic Church, was his very definition of the church. To Luther, the church was the flock who heard the voice of the shepherd and followed it. And even though he might not have been a member of the visible Catholic Church, he believed himself to be a member of the invisible church. Well, that sounds weird, AJ. That sounds weird. Invisible church? Ooh. Have we entered an episode of the Twilight Zone? 
No. It's a fair distinction, and when we talk about these aspects today of what it means to be the church, we still use the terms visible and invisible. And you, I think, would use it if you think about this. The visible church are those who are members of a church, part of a community. But we all know there are those who go to church who do not believe in Jesus. They're there for the social interaction. They're there for the benefits of the culture, for the power, the status. But they're not there for the person of Christ, right? So while the visible church are those who are part of a church by being part of a community, those in the invisible church are those who are part of Christ's community. No pun intended. They are his. They follow him, not the institution. And by their union with Christ, we talked about that last week, they are part of his bride. So the visible church are those united with, with the church. A visible church are those united with the church. And the invisible church are those united with Christ. Do you see the distinction? Okay? And you are united with Christ if you believe his gospel. Uh, let me make this clear. You can be in both. Right? You should be in both. Okay? You should be in the visible church and the invisible church. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. Okay? But it's not like, oh, you're in one camp or the other. No, no, no. Okay? But some people, you all have probably met them. They go to church, but they're not really Christians. Like, they don't, they don't live the life. They don't walk the walk. They just say, hey, I show up. I'm a priester. You know, on Christmas and Easter, I'm there. Uh, and, and that's it. Uh, I'm part of the church. Well, mm-hmm. you might be part of the visible church, but you might not be part of the invisible church, which that's the one with the ticket, right? With your name in the book of life. And you are united, and you were united with Christ if you believed in his gospel, his good news that he presented. It is what we've spent the last six weeks discussing, what the good news is. Justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, by the word alone. And to Luther, belief, to Luther's belief and the Pope's admission, the Catholic Church didn't believe that. They didn't believe that phrase, justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, by his word alone. So to Luther, to Luther, they were no longer a member of the invisible church. And this was a point of issue between Luther and the Pope. This is your next fill in the blank. It's a long one, but this is 15th century Catholicism, okay? To the Catholic Church, you had to be a member of a church to be saved. To the Reformers, you had to be saved to be a member of the church. Do you see the distinction? To the Catholic Church, you had to be a member of the church to be saved. They were your ticket. To the Reformers, you had to be saved to be a member of the church. See the difference between visible church and invisible church at play there? But here's what we get to today. because this, this series is called Modern Luther, right? It's not just one big history lesson. Even though one day, maybe I'll do it. Hey, maybe I'll do just one big church history thing. Me and Patrick always joke. We're like, if we ever want to kill Sunday school at this church... We'll just do back-to-back series on, like, the Westminster followed by church history. And then no one will ever come again. Like, right? Because everyone loves history. Um, I'm a minority. I love history. But, unfortunately, it's not the most hip thing on the planet. But if Luther was here today, right? If if it was modern Luther, what would he he say about the church today? Because between all the different denominations, congregations, and beliefs... What would Luther say as he defended the modern bride of Christ? 
What would his words of wisdom be to the modern American man or woman? And the reason I have to say modern American man or woman is twofold. One, you live here, right? You're American. Everyone would be like, I'm from America, okay? If you're from Texas, you say it a little bit more like George Bush. If you're not from Texas, you say it normally, okay? But you're from America, or America, okay? And so you have to address your context. And we're weird. Like, we're not like the rest of the world in, a, in, in our worldview. So even though modern Luther might say something very different to modern Germany, I think he would say something very unique to modern America. And that's what I want to touch on today as we look through the lens of what it looks to be an American Christian. So the biggest difference between, and this is my personal, this isn't in a book, this is AJ espousing um, what he views as uh, correct historical um, Critique. The biggest difference between the 15th century community and America, modern America, is your next fill in the blank, and that is this. It's a culture of community, culture of community versus a culture of self. That's again the third fill in the blank. Culture of community versus a culture of self. This is very American, right? So what drove people of the 15th century and still drives people, I would say even in the majority of the world, is is who they are in relation to, okay? So you are born into a certain family, and therefore you assume certain titles in the 15th century. Same way with other parts of the world, okay? You were born into a certain economic status and therefore assumed that status's position. That's probably most exemplified when you talk about it in history class in modern India, right? If you're born as an outcast in India, you don't get to climb the Hindu ladder, right? You get to live as an outcast and then pray that you are a good outcast and maybe in the next life you'll come back as something better, right? But you know your role to take a wrestling term, right? Like, know your role. Like, and... and To the world at large, that's how it is. But that's not the case in America. To to the 15th century community, this culture of community, you are born into a community, and therefore you would fight, defend, associate yourself as a member of that community. Your identity was tied to your community. Does that make sense? That's that culture of community. And that's weird for us, right? Like, we're Americans. And so, this is your next fill in the blank. In the 15th century, you, as an individual, made life decisions based on what family, economic position, and community you were a part of. That's what defines you. Okay? I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard a lot of the reviews for the new Pixar movie Coco, and that kind of encapsulates that. Okay? This idea of family is who I am, and there's a relation, and... And I'm connected, and that kind of defines who I am. Okay? We don't get that in America. I think, we, I think we desire that, but that's a completely different topic, right? But it, doesn't, it isn't who we identify as. So today it's different. We live in America where literally self-determination is a constitutional right. Okay? So born in the wrong family, abandon them. Find a new one. 
Like, welcome to America. Born into an economic status, climb the corporate ladder. Born Born into a community you don't like, move. Modernity, this is your next fill in the blank. Modernity, that's the blank. Modernity says you, as an individual, make life decisions based on what you want to do. Okay? Modernity says you, as an individual, make life decisions based on what you want to do. It's all about you. Okay? It is. It's all about you. Now, do we ascribe ourselves to a group like that of the 15th century person? Absolutely. But again, it can be our identity, and I think we long to be associated with a group. But it's typically not how we make the foundational decision. I think we seek the group that we want to be part of because we're American, we're self-determined. And in a different culture, we flip it. And we are already part of a group, and then we seek out self. Does that make sense? So for America, okay, I want to be a jerk. I mean, not a jerk. I want to be a jock. <laughs> so I'm going to hang out with jocks and be associated with the athlete. I want to be um, a nerd, which became cool in the last 10 years, which is awesome. Like, I love that. Like, I can talk about Dungeons & Dragons openly loud. Um, like, I can be part of that community and... and, and Seek for that, but I get to determine it, right? Um, or I want to be an intellectual. Uh, that's how I want to be noticed. So I strive to hang out with people that are also intellectuals. And so again, it's this idea of I determine self and then I seek out the group, where in other cultures it's flipped. You're already in a group because you're a culture of community based, and you're finding yourself in the midst of that. Do you see the flip? Again, that flip is hard because we're in a modern lens. And so we haven't experienced the other end. Those of you that just got back from Japan, you might have seen that. Because Japan is that. You are Japanese. To be anything else is to be anathema. Right? And so you're trying to find yourself in the midst of being part of this community. Compared to America, where I find myself by associating myself with the community of my choice. Sorry, I'm spending a lot of time on this, but I want you to get it. And this is hard. Like, this is sociology 101. Okay? Or maybe 102. Okay? So, um, what I'm saying is, and this is your next one in the blank, self-determination in regards to life, let alone spiritual matters, was not an afterthought. It wasn't even a thought. Self-determination in regards to life, let alone spiritual matters, was not an afterthought. It wasn't even a thought to a community, a culture of community. They didn't even, like, yeah, this idea of this disnification of you get to be who you want to be and follow your dreams and Jiminy Cricket and when you wish upon a star and, like, rub the lamp and, like, all uh, fall, you know, drop your hair out the window and follow after Finn. Like, all this stuff of self-determination, it's very American, right? It's not, it's not, it's definitely not 15th century Germany, and it isn't the majority of the world, Okay? So this idea that I get to self-determine anything, including my spiritual matters, was not even a thought. So how, here's the interesting thing. So Luther in the 15th century spoke to a world with one pope. So in a culture of determination, of self-determination, how would Luther speak to millions of little popes? 
where we're all building our own spiritual kingdoms. If Luther was speaking to a modern audience, instead of addressing the visible versus invisible church, I think he would have to address, at least to the American audience, and this is your next video in the blank, the culture of self versus the church. The culture of self versus the church. This is, I think, what he'd have to address. Because it dominates our landscape. Especially in the last, if you've watched that Calvinist documentary I've been talking about, it kind of touches on this too, the history of the church in the last 50 years. Okay? So, a culture of self, this is your next fill in the blank, this is a couple different things we're going to talk about. A culture of self asks, a culture of self asks, what does the church have to offer me? A culture of self asks, what does the church have to offer me? In the book Divine Commodity by Sky Jathani, which is on my reading list for your high school students and books you, I think you should read before you graduate, he lays out how the culture of self has led to, I like his term, the McDonaldification of the church. Okay? Um, it's all about the consumer. How does it meet your needs? Do they have a children's ministry? Is it thriving? Does it meet on nights of the week that best serves you? What about the youth ministry? Is there enough people just like you? Does it meet your standards of what it means to be a good youth group? And so we shop churches like we try on different types of shoes. Like, well, this one doesn't fit me. Like, we're looking for the Cinderella. Like, last slipper fits perfect. Her feet were so small. Like, sorry. But, like, we're looking. We're looking for the perfect fit. That moment where we walk into a church and we go, ah, right? Like, that's how we shop. So we don't consult scripture or compare the church um, and compare that to the church. We compare it to our feelings and the church's usefulness. Okay? Because it's America. It isn't valuable unless it's useful. Like, that's, um, that is America in a nutshell. It has no value unless it has use to me. Okay? Sky writes, In a commodity culture, we have been conditioned to believe nothing carries intrinsic value. Intrinsic means value simply because it has value's sake. Okay? Doesn't have to earn it. Instead, value is found only in a thing's usefulness to us. And tragically, this belief has been applied to people as well. And this is America, right? I don't value you as a person unless somehow you're useful to me. Like, turn on the CW for like 30 minutes if you can stomach it, right? Like, all those relationships are based on usefulness in the moment. Go to high school. Sorry. Um, you'll, see it. you'll see it in spades there, okay? So, I think it goes further than that. And again, this is AJ's historical critique, okay? In the midst of us being in a culture where everything's a commodity, I think one of the things, the outcomes of that, is that, and this is your next fill in the blank, look, I think we've lost the ability to create. I think we've lost the ability to create. Okay, that's weird. What do you mean by that? Okay? If the culture is obsessed with finding the thing that fits them best, 
And we have, like, every option available, right? Like, let's just take the church, okay? Like, you can find, okay, I want a Reformed church, okay? I want um, hymns only. I want a piano, maybe some brass, right? And then I want the preacher to wear a robe, okay? Like, we've got, like, 12 of those within the Metroplex, right? Okay, no, no. Now I want a Reformed Baptist church. I want the, you know, the dunk tank, as I call it, um, which I think would be a much more fun way to baptize people in the Baptist church if you put them on a log and you had to throw thing, balls at a target and they dropped in. Um, anywho, it'd be fun. I got two Baptist uncles. We can do that. Um, I know I want a dunk tank in the back, and then I want my worship leader to only sing songs that have been released in the last three years, and he's got to wear a white belt. Like, you know, like, things like that. Like, the McDonaldification, do you get what I mean? Like, you have a choice. There's so many options now that it's all about choosing, and it has a lot less to do with creating. So instead of, okay, I want to be part of something and create something, no, I just want to find something that's useful to me. Does that make sense? So we've lost this ability to create. Let me, let me continue with this idea. Look, I've had several students come up to me, because I've been here for seven years, right, with different suggestions they would like our youth ministry to do. Hurrah, do that, please. Okay, I love that. Because remember, it's your ministry. It's not my ministry. It's your ministry, okay? I'm just here preaching the gospel to you, okay? But the do part, that's on you too. More on you than it is me. Okay? So you come up, you give your ideas. And I state these words to you. So if you give me an idea, this is what I'm going to say. If it's a good idea. Okay? Sounds great. How about you do it? And then I get this face. Like, what? You mean me? Because let's be real, we want other people to carry out our wishes, right? Like, we like being the little popes. Like, we just make the papal ball, we send it, you do it. Hey? So, AJ, I like this idea. Please carry it out for me, and then I'll be part of it. Hey, I don't want to create. I just want to find my glass slipper. We want our vision to be cast, but we don't necessarily want to create our vision. We simply want to enjoy it. But it is a very different, it's very different in the effort of creation. And this is why I love it when you guys create stuff. Because when you do, you reflect God to others. Who is a God? He is a creator God. So when you create, you reflect God to your community. That's the beauty of it. And we grow deeper in our walks. Hey, AJ, I want us to do worship on Sunday nights. I remember having this conversation. Awesome. Former worship band. Enter that face. Right? And they did. They created it. Like, this wasn't AJ's idea. Like, I wasn't sitting at my desk one day going, we should do worship. No, like, one of you came to me. He was like, we should start a worship band. Okay, do it. And they did. And they created it. Awesome. Okay? Hey, AJ, I wish we'd be a more welcoming environment. <coughs> awesome. How about you welcome people? AJ, I wish we'd have more non-believers at youth group. Awesome. Why don't you invite them? No, you know what I mean? Like, we just want, like, to show up and be like, oh, there's so many people getting saved. I've just seen it. I don't necessarily done it. But, like, I'm seeing it. Like, we want that. This idea of creating what we want to be a part of is kind of lost in the culture. AJ, I wish we could do more in the community. 
Awesome. How about you find some ways to reach the community? Come up with ideas and come up to me. AJ, I saw this. We should do this. Yeah. Set it up for us. If you need an adult to sign the waiver, I'll do it. I think it's not hard. Like, that's one of the beautiful things we found out with Frisco Reach Out. We should do it, right? Like, we found some ways to do it. So, and this is this is where I went ouch and not amen. And I wanted to say amen, but it reflects me. And this is your next fill in the blank. You might fall on the side of a culture of self if you've ever judged a church. Not on the merits of scripture, but on personal preference. You might have fallen on the side of culture of self if you've ever judged a church. Not on the merits of scripture, but on personal preference. And like that one's hard, because we like try to over-spiritualize everything. Like, right? Like I've talked to the people that are like hymns only. Like, if it's not Beethoven, it's no good, right? And, like, they, they unfortunately can't be consistent since I'm like, well, what about the people of Beethoven's time? Can they speak, sing Beethoven, or is that too modern? Do you need something before Beethoven? No. Okay, well, like, we try to fit in our personal preferences. And, and we can do it with children's ministry, or I think youth ministry should look like this. Like, youth ministry isn't even brought up in Scripture. Let's be real, Okay. Like, it isn't. You were just part of the church. You might have hung out together when you were, like, getting water for the family. But that was it, right? Okay? Well, you were milking cows in the morning, but... Okay? In a culture of where everything is a commodity, we want stuff provided for us, and we really want to do the work ourselves. And because of it, we're always in search of personal preferences, and we compare things to how we feel and not to the words of Scripture. Do you get that? Okay, I'm done. That's a soapbox, off soapbox. Next, culture of self takes. So we've talked about culture of self asks, and now we're saying culture of self takes. What does it take? A backseat to the pastor. It takes a backseat to the pastor. When I went to see Alec, he's one of our alum, he hangs out in the back, where's the flat bill caps at church, um, gets sworn in to the Marine Corps. He walked up to a computer after getting sworn in to verify his information with a sergeant or major or whatever higher rank. And they asked him this simple phrase. She asked him this. Are you on the front line or do you support the front line? Because in the Marine Corps, there's only two roles. You're either on the front line shooting or you're supporting the people on the front line doing the shoot. That's it. That's the whole Marine Corps. Okay? And in church culture, we get those roles reversed. We think the guy on the front line is the paid church staff. He's the shooter. And everyone else supports him. Okay? But it's the opposites. Pastors are called to be shepherds so that the laity are now trained to go to the work of making disciples of all the nations. The front line people are you. We, on church staff, we train you how to shoot the gun and work with other people on the front line. Now, that doesn't mean I don't know how to go out and shoot something. Okay? I go to boot camp just like the rest of you. Okay? But my role, Patrick's role, is different. He's there to be a support for you as you live out in the world. It's not, okay, everyone's got to support the pastor, like, literally financially, and then, like, just so maybe he can bring someone to Christ. Like, no, it's, it's flipped. Those roles are reversed. But in a culture of self, we take the back seat and we say, no, 
I'll just support the work of the church. Well, we don't realize that that means you're supporting your own work. You are the church. The church is not a building. It's a people. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, Next. So we've talked about the culture of self. Asking, taking, and now the culture of self refuses. The culture of self refuses to be disciplined or discipled. So this is weird. So like, believe it or not, church discipline used to be a mark of the church. Like one of the pillars that the church stand on. Literally, it was one of the foundations of the early Baptists was church discipline. And for many in the Reformed Church, it pointed to the fact that people were being discipled. But in a culture of self, where you're not allowed to hurt anyone's feelings, in a culture of self that tells you when you turn on Nickelodeon or Disney or anything, you are perfect just the way you are. In a culture of self that is more concerned about happiness than holiness, to be told that you might be doing something wrong is to have broken one of America's Ten Commandments. Is it not? In a country where morals are relative and you make your own purpose and everyone is a winner, how can you correct, strengthen, and discipline people who already think they have it all together? For at least like that appearance, right? That <clears throat> at least appear I have it all together. We don't like to think we're small, and we don't like to think we're insignificant. And that's typically how we think when we're being disciplined. An old Peanuts cartoon, I love it. So Charlie Brown and Sally outside at, outside at night gazing at the stars. I guess it's like this. Because they don't do front. Whatever. You've seen the Peanuts cartoon? And Charlie Brown says this. Let's go inside and watch television. I'm beginning to feel insignificant. And we do, right? To be corrected, told you're doing something wrong, belittles you and belittles me instead of encourages us. So here's the questions I have for you. How do you react to discipline? What's your initial reaction to discipline with people in authority over you? How's your initial reaction? What's your heart's reaction to correction? How do you handle correction? I think in a culture of self, we are convinced that everyone is out to get theirs. Everyone is out to get theirs. So when someone corrects us, we don't look at it like a chance for growth. We look at it like a power play where we lose. And there are, of course, some cases where this is true. You're going to bump into people who are not interested in disciplining you. They're interested in belittling you. Right? But too often, we confuse those. Okay? Next. Culture of self can lead to the church of self. Culture of self can lead to a church of self. I shared this story with one of you this past week. I don't know who. I remember sitting down. Maybe it was at Thor, so I apologize if you heard the story already. So there's a story of a church couple who stopped attending. So the husband said he would grow better on his own. And after about a month of missing church, his pastor showed up at his door. It was Christmas time, the lights were hung, the tree was out, and it was cold outside. The pastor came inside, sat across from the fire, which was in the hearth, accepted a cup of tea from the wife, and just sat. The husband sat in the other armchair, and they just sat there looking at the fire and the hearth. The husband was waiting 
to be chided by the pastor, while the pastor seemed to be waiting for him to start the conversation. About five minutes, after about five minutes, the pastor got up, put down his tea, and walked over to the fire. He then took a coal out of the fire and set it about a foot away on the stone, and then proceeded to walk back to his seat. For the next 15 minutes, they both watched this lone coal that had been removed from the fire slowly fizzle out, slowly burn, slowly lose its heat, slowly die all by itself, never fulfilling its potential to add to the flame. And when it had finally burned out, the pastor sat down his now empty teacup, grabbed his jacket, and headed to the door. And before he opened the door, however, the husband said, Pastor, that's the best sermon you've ever preached. I'll be at church on Sunday. Psalm 133 says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Hebrews 13.1 says, Let brotherly love continue. When we're removed from the flame of the church, when we're convinced we can do it on our own, much like the coal removed from the fire, we go cold really quickly, really fast. And look, that just is the tip of the iceberg in terms of unity. I could have spent a whole message on this. We'll talk about some of this more in transformation groups. But you can't have unity within the church if you're alone. It's impossible. You can't be sharpened if you have nothing to rub against. Yes, you can find God in nature. I'm not saying you can't. Yes, you might be more comfortable going to Christ's alone church. But you will not grow in the way Christ intended and you remove the opportunity of growth in others by depriving them of yourself. I think we miss that too. When we remove ourselves from the church, it's not just us we're hurting. It's everyone else that can benefit from your presence. And while the culture of self asks, takes, and refuses for self, this is your next fill in the blank, the church answers, gives, accepts all, not and, all while dying to self. The church answers, gives, accepts, all while dying to self. Michael Horton says, it was Luther and Calvin who emphasized responsibility over rights, the latter being a more modern obsession. Will you give up your American rights so that you can take on the responsibility Luther has handed you? Look, the Reformation might have started 500 years ago, but the motto of the Reformation is your last fill in the blank. And that is this, always reforming, always reforming, always looking more and more like Christ as an individual and a community, not like the fads and certainly not like what we're most comfortable with because that is rarely the church. Little hopes, will you burn your own self-written papal bowl? And live with the motto, always reforming to the greater image of Christ. Let's pray. We'll dive into transformation groups. Father God, thank you for these young people. Thank you for this time we've got to spend together looking at your history of your servant Luther and many other reformers. And Lord, may this best be the beginning of our journey as we look at our history, who we are, who our identity is as the bride of Christ. Um, And may we take that information and move forward so that we can reform others, reform ourselves, and be sanctified into more beautiful bride 
In Jesus' name.